Welcome to Comedians Talking Sports, the podcast where comedians talk sports. I'm your host, Joe Kilgallen. Going to get right into it today. Uh, a little background about the podcast. Normally, I've got a little more production value. Not much, but I'll play a little intro song. Uh, today, I'm just going to get right into it. Had a busy, busy last few days. My father was in town. You know, I had to show him around. to play a lot of golf. He lives in Chicago where the weather hasn't been that great recently. Although it was 80 degrees on Monday, we went to the Dodgers-Marlins game. Clayton Kershaw bobblehead, pretty good. Giancarlo Stanton hit a bomb. Marlins won 3-2. I didn't really care. I guess overall I don't like the Marlins, so I probably would have been happier if the Dodgers won. But I'm not a fan of other teams. Just want to see good baseball and a lot of home runs. Saw a couple, low score. I digress. Anyhow, though, so I got swept up in some stuff there. So I don't have a guest this week. I know the whole premise of the podcast is myself and another comedian talking about the wild, wacky world of professional sports in a fun way, not in like a douchey, over-the-top, boring, analytical way either. We like to have some uh, some fun with it. And we also review a 30 for 30, the very popular documentary series from uh, ESPN. So I do have a documentary to review, but it's not a 30 for 30. It's called Trophy Kids. It's about psychotic parents. I'm going to get into that in a little bit. wanted to save that for later. Uh, but yeah, so if you're listening to the podcast for the very first time, thank you. Glad to have you aboard. Hope you enjoy it. I like to kind of make it where that you don't have to be a diehard sports fan to still enjoy it. So I'll be talking about some issues. Uh, I just wanted to give you a little bit of background before we get into it, though. I uh, wanted to just, you know, hit the ground running today. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Comedy Sports Pod. Give myself a follow at Joe Kilgallen. Review us and subscribe on iTunes. The review goes a real long way. Can't uh, ask you and thank you enough for those of you who have reviewed. I mean, can't ask those who have not reviewed. You know what the fuck I'm talking about. You get it. I have a day drinking show I do where I literally just drink and talk into my phone. I go live on Facebook. I don't know why I started doing it. I just have a lot of free time as a comedian during the day, so I figured why not. And uh, so that's the level I'm at right now. A few beers into me, and I really haven't eaten anything. I'm not drunk. I'm just kind of loose in that you know nice way where I feel like I could, you know, I could go run some laps or I could take a nap. I'm in either place right now, either direction, good old young Joseph could go in. So I wanted to lead off talking about Jake Arrieta. And yes, I am from Chicago. Yes, I am a diehard Cubs fan. Love Arrieta in particular. I try to take all of my sports angles from a national standpoint because I want people from all across the country and all around the planet to listen and enjoy. But Jake Arrieta is a big story right now. Last Thursday, was it Thursday or was it Friday? I believe it was Friday. It was Thursday or Friday. He throws a no-hitter. It was his second no-hitter in his last 11 regular season starts, making him only the second person to have it that close together. One one great through back-to-back no-hitters, which Jake Arrieta pitches tonight, he's aiming to do. Vegas odds actually have him 5-1 to one to throw a no-hitter, which is really incredible. Also, the wind's blowing in at Wrigley in Chicago, so there's a good chance. There's actually a good chance the game's called off. I think it might be rainy, so the weather's on his side, and the Brewers suck. So there's there's a lot going into it there. But Jake Arrieta is on a historic run. He's been the talk of baseball. He was last year's Cy Young winner, had a 1.77 ERA, a great whip, and just was dominant. He had a 0.50 ERA, I believe, in the second half. Something like his last 25 starts. He he himself is 20-1. Wins and losses could be an overrated record for pitchers nowadays, though, as we know that, you know, bullpens, there's a lot that plays into it. But more importantly, his whip is incredibly low. This is like Bob Gibson stuff. For those of you who don't know, Bob Gibson, uh, one of the greatest pitchers of all time, big writer for the St. Louis Cardinals, also a great guy to quote. I'll get to a, a really awesome quote of his in a little bit. 
But he uh, was so dominant in the 60s. I mean, a lot of pitchers were, though. There was a great area. You had Koufax, Drysdale, Juan Marichal. And this was back when guys would start 40 games and complete 35 of them. You know, they were just workhorses. Nowadays, everyone's like, oh, 200 innings, what a feat. And it's like, it, that's not really, I guess nowadays it's impressive. But it's a weird thing with pitching. And I have a whole other episode. I do two podcasts a week. On Sundays, I call it my MLB Weekly Recap, where myself and comedian Mike Bridenstine, who were, were both diehard baseball nerds and, and love talking baseball together, we recap the week in baseball, and then we dig into, like, historical stats. And we really we have, we have a fun time going into it, you know? So check that out. That's every Sundays. So I don't want to go too deep into that. But Bob Gibson was so good. In, 19, in 1968, he had a 1.12 ERA for the season, the whole season. Now, Jake, last year, Jake the Snake, whatever you want to call him, you could say under my Arietta, as I like to say, kind of like that song Umbrella by Rihanna, Ella, A-A-A. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Again, I'm loose today. I'm very loose. He was 1.77 area, so not the same as a 1.12, but that whole second half was just straight domination. Like every other start, you felt like he was going to flirt with a no-hitter. And I was lucky enough to be there at Dodger Stadium August 30th of last year, Sunday night ESPN Baseball. Those of you who know me know I love sharing that picture. A lot of people took pictures of their TV screens as, as Joey with his shit red beard was on the screen. Yeah, I, had a real, I, didn't, I didn't shave in like four days. So I just had like this really scruffy, scraggly looking, white trash looking beard. And it looked terrible. But I was on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball right before the last out. He just struck out Rollins. Altley was coming to the plate. And who did they cut to? Cut to me. Because they know I bleed cubby blue. They know I'm the diehard. They know I would bring it home. Next batter struck out. Everyone celebrates. Good time. So the reason I'm talking about Jake Carey. Oh, no, I want to give you a good Bob Gibson quote. I got to give it to you now or else I'll forget it. Bob Gibson, anyway, the most dominated season, dominating pitching season of all time, what he had in 1968, so much to the point where they had to lower the mound the next year. That's something that's so crazy. Any athlete that is so dominant that they change a rule for automatically has to go in for the conversation of greatest of all time. So Gibson... I don't know if he is the greatest pitcher of all time. That's something I really haven't put a whole lot of thought into, but he's definitely in that conversation. And as much as you have to from the basketball side of things, Will Chamberlain changed so many rules that I kind of have to put him in my top five NBA players of all time. Eh, top ten probably because it was a different game, though. But it was different. They had to change it because him he was that good. That's incredible. Imagine being so awesome at something. They changed the rules. You know, like, I was so badass at kickball growing up. They probably should have said, you know what? Batters or you know, batters, kickers, aren't allowed to face, you know, toward third baseline. Because what would you do is just blast it down the third baseline. Because even if you didn't get all of it, it would, you know, bounce off the third baseman's face, go into foul territory, get some good spin going, and you got yourself an easy double right there. That's just good strategy in kickball. So Ariadna now is under fire from the likes of, oh, here are some popular names. Here are two names that I'm sure everyone listening is going to be like, oh, yeah, I love, respect, and admire his opinion. Skip Bayless, who's such a dork that I don't even want to go to his brother's restaurants anymore. His brother, Rick Bayless, has some restaurants in Chicago and among other places. I think he's kind of, he's in that conversation of uh, some great chefs. People tell me, look at Bob, like Bobby Flay. So I'm going to have to say Bobby Flay is better than him. There you go. Skip Bayless, and alongside him, Stephen A. Smith, who is just the epitome of, a, he's, he's a stroke, right? You look at this guy, you just think, look at this drip. 
Just, I mean, not even like not talking about his looks, but he does look like a drip in general. He's got weird hair, hairline going back. Some guys just need to let it go, shave it. You got, you're lucky where you're a black man and you look cool with a shaved head. You don't look like you're sick. You know, it looks, it looks cool. So, yeah, he's, I've never liked his opinions on anything. He's a professional troll. I don't even think he's that great a writer. There are some guys who I hate their opinion, but I'm like, you know, he, he's a, he could turn a phrase. He or she is a good writer. But I, I hate their opinion. But him, I hate his opinion. I think his writing's poor. He's that guy that if he showed up, if you were, even if you were really close friends, you'd be like, hey, what's up? But then you're whispering to your, your buddy like, oh, son of a bitch. You know, he's going to say something stupid. You know, he's that guy that would send back a water at a restaurant too. It's like, why are you even ordering a water? He'll bring it, you know. We're, 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 at, a, we're at a TGI Fridays. What are you doing, Steven? You know? Get, get the Bahama Mama like the rest of us and have a fun time. So he now is jumping. Him and Skip Bayless have both put it out there today that they believe that there is something. Because Arietta says he laughs when, he, when people think he's taking a steroids or PEDs or whatever, you know. And for a good point, I remember the first guy who mentioned it, and I talked about it on the podcast last week, was Ozzy Guillen's son, who I think has a radio show for what reason nobody knows. Maybe he's good. I don't know. I haven't listened to the radio show. I don't care to. I don't know what, like, what's his claim to fame? Oh, I was around dugouts a lot as a kid, so I must be a baseball expert. Did he play? Does anyone know? Ozzy Guillen, overrated. Fiery manager. You know what I hate about players like Ozzy Guillen, too? And they're like this in every sport. There's always some player that ends up being a kind of coach, and he just, the thing I couldn't stand about Ozzy Guillen was he would talk shit about his own players. Now, I have no problem with a manager who will pull a player aside and say, what the hell are you doing? Are you thinking of the team? What's wrong with you? You could give your own players a kick in the ass, but to go in the media before having a chance to talk to that player, that last season I had met a couple White Sox, and they couldn't tell me directly, but they told me, you know what I'm saying, like a wink-wink thing. They couldn't stand him. Nobody really liked him in that locker room. And I know if you're a White Sox fan out there, you might be thinking, Paul Canerco said some nice things. Well, of course, he's going to say nice things about Lakers. Paul Canerco's a great dude. He's not going to throw you know, dirt on his grave on the way out the door. He's not going to do that. No, he's a classy guy. I like Paul Canerco. But yeah, I mean, especially Ozzie Guillen, when you talk about players playing tough. Ozzie Guillen, I remember watching him as a child. He was a cream puff of a player. Total wuss. Whiner, never really played hard, got hurt real easily. Was he a great defensive shortstop? Yes, he was a really, really good defensive shortstop. But guess what? He kind of had to be when you hit 220. I always love that argument, too. It's like, oh, that guy's a terrible hitter, but he's a great fielder. Well, you know, shit. If you can't hit and you can't field, you don't have a fucking job. That's kind of how sports work. So anyway, his son puts it out there that Arietta, I don't know about Arietta, he might be using. That's what he said. And what did he do? He took a picture of Jake Arietta. And I remember, I'd seen the picture before. Arietta's wearing like a, a gray t-shirt that he had sweat, sweat through. Like you could just tell he was soaking sweat through this thing. He probably, it was probably right after a start. Had his Cubs head on backwards so he could put headphones on. It was for a post-game show. And it was a cutoff sleeve shirt. So his arms did look pretty jacked. They didn't look any more jacked than any hitter though. I mean, they were cut. They were toned. This guy's a professional athlete entering his prime years. 29, 30 years old, I believe. And this, so last year, so he was probably 29, maybe even 28, going on 29 at the time. And yeah, so he's going to be in good shape. He had that picture, which was a square shot. What I mean by that is his shoulders were squared up, facing the camera. 
side by side next to a picture of him when he was with the Baltimore Orioles. Now, this picture was an official team picture that you would see in a program or on the website, like a class picture equivalent in Major League Baseball, where he's, you know, he looks like he's posing, he's got the glove up, he's staring, you know, on an angle like he's looking in it, like he's in the stretch, like he's looking in at the catcher for a signal, curveball, slider, what do you think, catch, you know, like he's got that look on his face. So it's a side shot. It's like a different angle. So right off the bat, that's a, you're, you're a jerk who's trying to push a narrative in which you believe that you have some kind of evidence. Oh, look at this. That's like saying, oh, this guy grew six inches. Here's a picture of him sitting down. Here's a picture of him standing up. What? I mean, come on, we're, we're smarter than that. And I hope people, if, the only people who believe there are people who just hate the Cubs. I expect Cardinals fans and White Sox fans to eat that shit up. And even in their heart of hearts, they should know, no, he's not on roids. But it's fun to just, you know, give Cubs fans a hard time because they're actually great. And it's something we're not used to, so we can't even handle it. No, he has not gained any significant weight to the point where you're like, this guy is definitely juicing from his Baltimore days. Here's the story. Here is the background of Jake Arrieta coming over to the Chicago Cubs from the Baltimore Orioles, for those of you who do not know. The Cubs were in rebuild mode from day one of Epstein taking over. The Cubs had made the playoffs in 07 and 08. 09 made a couple disastrous moves in getting Milton Bradley, letting go of Mark DeRosa, a few mistakes there, and were a bad team. And then in, in 2010, were really bad. They had Mike Quaddy as a manager after that. Lou Pinella skipped town. By skip town, he really didn't even finish the season. He was a four-year contract, halfway into the fourth year, was like, I can't do this shit anymore, and went back to Tampa. Retired. And and so the Cubs were awful. They had no farm system. They were making patchwork moves where they were, you know, they weren't spending any money because they weren't really it didn't look like they had anything to go off of. I mean, they'd sign like Carlos Pena. They still had Ramos Ramirez and Soriano. They would make weird, random deals. Like, they traded for Matt Garza, who was a good pitcher, but they gave up way too much in that deal for a team that really wasn't going to compete. That was the thing that Jim Hendry did too much. He was like, well, we need a pitcher, so let's let's mortgage the future. Archie Bradley, and is it Archie Bradley? No, Chris Archer was in that deal, who's a stud pitcher for Tampa. So it was a complete mistake on that end for a couple of years of Garza for a team where you weren't going to compete. Now, smart GMs look and say, if I make this trade, does adding Matt Garza put us over the top? If the answer is yes, make the trade. If the answer is no, don't make the trade. Or make the trade and make more moves so that you get there. But he never did that. So anyway, Epstein comes in and says, screw this. We need to, you know, I'm coming here for the reason of I like the idea of starting fresh, building from the ground up. There's a reason the Cubs haven't won in over 100 years. And it hasn't been goats or black cats or whatever bullshit you want to think of. It's the fact that they have been horribly managed for over a century, making wrong moves constantly. So part of what he was doing, a little trick he learned, was he was signing these mid-level pitchers. It started with Paul Mahalam, then the next year was Scott Feldman, and then Jason Hamill last year, who then they traded and then brought back as a free agent. You know, they traded in 14, then brought him back in for last year and now this year, two-year contract, 2015, 2016. And they were flipping these guys because he thought to himself, everyone always needs pitching at the deadline, which he's right. I've seen a genius in this regard. I can make a move, and maybe we could steal some young prospect or steal a player who's overlooked. And that's what he did. He traded Scott Feldman, and I know a lot of you are thinking, who exactly? A guy who had had a couple decent years with Texas before that, but was nothing to write to your mom about. Feldman and backup journeyman catcher Steve Clevenger, which, by the way, you hear the name Steve Clevenger, and you just think second string. Certain names do that. <laughs> and then that deal netted us Pedro Strope, who's been our setup man and a very good one the last couple of years. 
And Jake Garrietta, who's been the best pitcher in baseball, really from not just all of last year, the second half of last year, but overall, if you look, he had a great 2014. He missed the first month, maybe six weeks of the season. He had a leg thing. It wasn't arm-related. And then was 10-5 and five with a 2.4 ERA. The next year, last year, was the explosion year, Cy Young winning season, 22-6. and six. Again, I said this before, 1.7 ERA, over 200-and-something innings pitched, no hitter, strikeout, you know, the, the historic second half. Uh, had a lot of strikeouts. I can't remember the exact strikeout totals, but they were up there. It was a like top five for sure. So that's like that's an evolution to go from the 2.4 ERA, and even when we got him in 2013, the second half of 2013 for us, he had he had a couple tune-up starts in AAA when we, we didn't bring him and put him up on the big league roster right away. He uh, had like a 3.35 ERA. So to go from like a 3.3 to a 2.4 to a 1.7. That's not so crazy. That's not unheard of. A pitcher's prime is typically right around 28 through the mid 34, 35. Pitchers, for some reason, have a different prime than hitters. Hitters, it's like 26 to 32, 31, 32. And they're still good into their maybe 34, 35, but by then it usually starts to really tail off. A pitcher could still be good in their mid 30s. Hell, you had Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling and Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin pitching well into their late 30s, early 40s, and still being very effective. Well, Clemens we knew was on roids, but the other four I named weren't. And that was because they were just smarter. As a pitcher, you just get smarter. You realize, oh, I don't have to throw 110 miles or try to throw that. No one actually throws that, but they try to. You know, I don't have to get cute. If there's a hitter up there who I know is not going to do shit, I'll throw him that first ball. You know, fastball and let them pop it up to the you know shortstop. Let's do that. They just get smarter with their pitches. With Baltimore, Jake Arrieta was not allowed to throw what is now his best pitch. He throws a cut fastball. Now, some of you are thinking, why the hell wasn't he allowed to throw in Baltimore? Because Buck Showalter is the manager there, a guy who I thought would just get screwed by circumstance a lot because he would lose a team and then that team would make the World Series. He was the manager of the Yankees right before Torrey came in and they started winning titles every other year. Same thing with, um, there was another team or two he did that with. But anyway, he gets teams right where they need to be, and then they just get, get out of here, Buck. We've had enough of you. He's the Doug Collins of Major League Managers. Doug Collins, NBA coach, for those of you who don't know, who was the coach before Phil Jackson took over the Bulls. Those early Bulls teams that won the titles, that first three-peat, those were Doug Collins' teams. He put those teams together, and they you got rid of them, and Phil Jackson was just like, zen, peace, love, and let's smoke some grass. And everyone's like, cool, let's chill, let's win titles. And they had a good time. So he's against the cut fastball, Buck Showalter, the manager of the Orioles. He believes it leads to injuries or whatever, and there's no real proof to that. There's a few guys who had thrown it wrong, and, and maybe it did. But overall, no real evidence there. That's just some hankering decision or, like, you know, some instinct that he had or hunch, I should say. And he's wrong. So the Cubs management with Basio and um, who's the pitching coach have always been like, this is what the, a player can do. Let this player be this player. And we'll just tweak what we need to tweak. But we don't need to reinvent this person. There's a reason scouts looked at this person when they were in high school or college. There's a reason they had success at this level. We don't need to reinvent the wheel with this guy. So all they did was they simplified his mechanics a little bit. And if you look at Jake Arrieta, his mechanics are real simple. He's on a routine. He does like the same process over and over again. The guy is very much on a workout routine. He's on a routine on the mound. After each pitch, he, he like he checks his belt, checks the hat. You know, he goes through this routine. A lot of athletes do it. Very common with free throw shooters, where they want to do the same thing every time. So you add this pitch, the cut fastball. You add the simplified mechanics, which then 
helped his control. Walks are down. Cut fastball, very tough for him to hit. And then that developed his changeup. Has made his, all his other pitches that much better. So Stephen A. Smith is just a troll. He's a piece of shit troll. And I love that Jake Arrieta is responding to him. And he just gave him one little response like, I'm just going to laugh at you and keep being me. Arietta knows that he's got the public on his side. No one likes Stephen A. Smith. But here's another problem, and it's a problem with media in general, and maybe I'm feeding into it by even bringing this shit up, is that we just keep, he'll stay, they have these guys, these sports writers, these sports commentators, who will say the most outrageous crap in the world just to get people fired up. Now, I'm all for having debate. I'm all for you know, trying to say, well, let's think about the other side of the coin, you know, and presenting different ideas. But the people who purposely go out of their way to do that, growing up, there was this guy, Jay Marotti, who constantly did that shit. He was a columnist for the Chicago Sun-Times, and would every time any, any Chicago sports team had a really good athlete, I'm sure whatever town you live in, there's a, an equivalent to this writing piece of shit, he would he would just he would cut him up and say well maybe the Bears should get rid of Brian Urlacher. He would say the Bears should get rid of Brian Urlacher after like his second season, and his whole thing was they could get a lot for him. Well, which is always the stupid thing that they will then throw in there to try to legitimize all the thousands of words of crap they just you just bought into by reading this person in the first place. That's the one thing I did agree with Ozzy Guillen with. He did he didn't take guff from Jake Mariotti. I'll give him that. All right, so that, that that sums up Jake Arrieta. He goes tonight. I would love. I want to keep. I, I'm rooting for him not just because he's a Cub, because I like this guy's moxie. In 2013, at the beginning of the year, you guys got to look. Follow him on Twitter. He's good on Twitter. Uh, you know, a lot of athletes aren't great, but he was pretty good. He got into it with a fan. I mean, the fan engaged him, saying, "Oh, you suck. You know, you should go back to the minors." And you know, swarmed with a bunch. It's always real classy. They're the finest fucking people are on Twitter. And Arrieta responds with. I know, I got to be better, but if I were you, I wouldn't want to see me in person. So he kind of was like, hey, man, I admit I'm not having a good year, but also, shut up, dude. What do you do? What do you do? You watch me play a game, you jerk off. Like, you know, I like that. You, there was, you didn't say that directly, but it was there. The undertone was there. And then, and then he was just like, because th- this is what these people do on YouTube and Twitter. They'll insult a celebrity, whether it be, you know, musician, athlete, actor, whatever, or anybody in, in general. And then when that person responds, they're so bad. Oh, my God, this guy responded to me. Now I feel like an idiot. And in like, and, and some last ditch to try to show that they're a decent person, they'll say something like this guy said. So this guy then said, nothing personal. Yeah, right. Nothing personal when you said I fucking sucked the tweet before? All right, dude. He then says, he goes, nothing personal, but I just think you'd be better as a long reliever. I'm just like, okay. okay. Arietta responds, Oh, I want to get the exact thing to, he said. Hold on, give me a second here. I want to find it. Arietta says in response at C. Williams 2599, whatever, in response to you should be a long reliever, says, I will be a dominant starter, period. Wait for it. He tried to do ellipses, but only did two. But, you know, whatever. You, you let the shorthand go through. That was what he said on April 24th, 2013, a mere three years and a couple days ago. That's how confident Arietta was that he would figure it out. And everyone who saw him knew he had, the, he had the stuff for it. So just long story short, don't, like, screw Stephen A. Smith. Screw these people who are going to try to, like, bring down a guy who's doing great. And I know baseball had that black cloud over it for a long time with the roid use and everything like that. But the game, I feel like, has cleaned itself up overall. And just enjoy greatness. 
innocent till proven guilty in this country, damn it. And that reminds me, speaking of this great country of ours, I have t-shirts for sale on my website. If you go to joekilgallon.com slash merchandise, you could buy a t-shirt that says day drinker on it in any color you want. It's a real cool design. Check it out on the website. You can order in any color, any size. I have a men's and women's. The shirt's great because it is made in America. So it's $23.95, a little more expensive than I want for a shirt. I know you're thinking, $23.95, dude, I could get a shirt at Target for 12 bucks. Yeah, but that shirt was made by a four-year-old Malaysian boy. Why don't you help out your country, huh? Or unless you hate America, I'm assuming if you don't buy this, you hate America. Yeah, I'm throwing that your way. The gauntlet has been laid down. All right, moving on to NHL right now. Uh, some stuff to talk about in basketball, too. I'll get to that, and then I'll review this crazy documentary that you guys definitely have to check out. It's currently on Netflix. It's called Trophy Kids. Uh, I'm a little bummed right now. I'm sad. My Chicago Blackhawks will not be repeating as Stanley Cup champions. They have been eliminated. That's right, Blackhawks. Taves, Hosa, Keith, Seabrook, Kaner. You got to shave, guys. You got to shave. Shave the beards. It's sad. I'm not going to shave because I'm not a hockey player and I can do whatever I want with my facial hair. What do you think of that? But they had, it was a hard-fought series. They were down three games to one. They came back tied the series 3-3. So going into game seven, you think we got the momentum. Anything can happen. But it's playoff hockey. It's playoff hockey. It's tough. Oh, I just got word. The Cubs-Brewers game in Chicago has been postponed due to the forecast of bad weather. No makeup date to be determined. That's okay. Hopefully the weather will be better tomorrow, and Arietta will still go on a little bit more rest. There you go. He threw a no-hitter last week with 117 pitches. Another day's rest is just fine for the for uh, good old Jake the Snake. So the Blackhawks lost. Um, it, it was a tough series, and I know a lot of Blackhawks fans are out there. There, there are some who are real Debbie Downers about it, and... Um, Look, it's really hard, and that's what makes hockey a great sport. It really, it's really hard to repeat. They've got a hard salary cap. Nobody has won back-to-back Stanley Cups in the hard salary cap era. It's, it's difficult because you have to reshuffle your guys. You can't afford everybody. Players are due raises, and then you go over the cap, and you have to adjust needs and everything like that. It's unfortunate. And a lot of people think, oh, we missed Patrick Sharp this year. Sure, yeah, I'm sure we missed Sharp a little bit. He's a guy who's been around forever and he's a leader. But really, we missed Johnny Oduya. The Blackhawks only have three defensemen. That's what really hurt them. And I know they didn't score a lot of goals. Elliott was great. St. Louis has some really good defensemen. Uh, Tara Vinen, I thought, needed to step it up a little bit. Some people are giving Taves a hard time. But when you add up all these extra playoff games, and they're great and everything, but the Blackhawks are in the playoffs every year. They are a dynasty. Some people argue they won't, but they, they had won three cups in six years in a sport that has a hard salary cap. No other team has done that in the modern salary cap age. Therefore, they qualify as a dynasty. It wasn't a deep run, but I have to remind you, Blackhawks fans, after 2010, we had lost in seven games in the first round of the Vancouver Canucks the next year, and we were down 3-0 in that series and almost came back and won the whole thing. It was an overtime goal. So we had lost by one goal to St. Louis, and I hate the Blues. I do. I don't like a lot. Tarasenko is sick, though. God, that guy's good. I hate your coach. He's an idiot. Hitchcock. Real dumb quote early in the game uh, in the series from him was that, oh, we didn't get enough hits. We need more hits. We need to double our total of hits. Which is just such a meathead dipshit thing to say because here's where numbers in sports, numbers don't lie, but they manipulate you ne- like remember the Blackhawks, the one series, the, I can't remember who the national, probably Peter Maguire because he's a turd. He was saying that, oh, yeah, the Blackhawks are being out hit in this series. And he made it like a point. It's like, yeah, because we have the puck, dummy. We're controlling the puck. The team that controls the puck doesn't have as many hits. 
You're not going to take it across the blue line and then check someone like a fucking moron. That's not how that works. What do you think this is, the Federal League? You're watching Slapshot, you dumb dumb? No. It doesn't work that way. So, yeah, that's where he's a dope. Um, Troy Brower is next black. I liked him, and he had, a, he had a big game. But, you know, some people were like, oh, man, I can't believe we really miss Troy Brower. No, we don't. We didn't miss him. We won two cups without him. The Washington Capitals got rid of him, and they are better now. Capitals advance. I'll give you an update. I'll go around the sport right now. Uh, the East is pretty much their whole second round is now set. You got Rangers versus Tampa Bay. Florida, that was shocking. I really thought Florida was going to win a playoff series there. You have the Capitals versus Pittsburgh. That is going to be the series. We know it really sucks in both sports because of their seedings because the top division winners have to be the first three seeds, which I disagree with. And I'm going to get a little more into that in just a second. Let me tell you the other matchups. But like, like in the East, which the Capitals-Penguins being the premier series, the premier series, I think, is going to be the Blues versus Dallas. I think whoever comes out of that wins the Stanley Cup. I really, I really believe that. I'd be okay with the Capitals winning it. You know, they've always been a kind of a really piss poor playoff team, and so maybe this year they'll finally crack through. But we're waiting on Nashville versus the Ducks. No, I'm rooting for Nashville. I got nothing against the Ducks. Actually, no, I don't like the Ducks. What am I talking about? I'm second guessing myself here too much. I'm like your typical sports radio guy where it's like well on one hand they could do this on another hand they could do that no i really want nashville to win not that i'm a big nashville fan either is that uh i, I do respect them as, as a team um they've made hockey fun and a lot of nashville fans really do come out to support the team which a lot of people didn't think that franchise could work you know being in a southern state and all so uh and pecorino he's awesome it's uh I predicted them in my bracket. I did this bracket pool with a bunch of friends, and I predicted that the Nashville Predators would upset the Ducks. That was like my big upset. And I had the Kings beating the Sharks, and the Sharks won, and the Blackhawks beating the Blues, and the Blues won. I suck. The only one I picked out of the West was Dallas beating Minnesota Wild, and they won that in six games. I On the other side, I picked Pittsburgh. I picked Washington. I can't remember. I think I had the Red Wings beating Tampa in seven. I just thought, wow, it's Stamkos. What shot in hell did they have? And I had Florida being the Islanders for sure, so I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I totally thought 16 teams, this is going to be a cakewalk compared to the March Madness bracket, and no, I, I, was, I was real dumb with that. What I was going to say with seedings, what's really stupid with seedings right now, I mean, I think all sports need to get rid of it. It's not like back in the day with divisions. Back in the day, they had divisions where it's like, oh, this is the East, the West, the Central, or in football, North, South, whatever. It was because they wanted to form rivalries because they figured, oh, the Packers and Bears and Vikings should, and Detroit should all be in the same uh, division. That way they could, you know, fans from Green Bay could drive down to Chicago or fans from Minnesota could drive over to Green Bay and then friendly rivalry. Those rivalries will still exist if you take out divisions and just make it one big league. The reason I think it should be one big league because as a fan, you want to see the best of the best go at it. Now, in Major League Baseball last year, because there are no seedings, the second-best team in the National League, the Pittsburgh Pirates, had to take on the third-best team in the National League, the Chicago Cubs, in a one-game playoff because they were both wild cards. The three best teams in all of baseball actually happened, not just the National League, but the three best teams in the whole sport happened to be in the NL Central. So the NL Central almost gets punished in a way where their two wild-card teams have to face off in a one-game playoff. So I felt bad. I was happy the Cubs won, but I also felt bad for the Pirates because this team won 98 games. They had the second-most wins in the regular season, and they're one and done. That doesn't seem fair. Really what they should do is break it down to seeding, to seeds, you know? So for that first round, since it's five teams that make the playoff in the National League and, and in the American League as well, it should have been 
the four and five seed face in the one-game playoff. So it should have been the Dodgers versus the Mets in a one-game playoff, which in retrospect would have been great because I'm a Cubs fan, and hopefully the Dodgers could have knocked them out, and I liked our chance against the Dodgers a lot more. So it should have been that, and then whoever wins that, so say the Dodgers knock them out because you have Kershaw versus, I mean, the Mets got tons of great pitching, don't get me wrong, but you like Kershaw in any one-game setting, although he hasn't been the best playoff pitcher. It's kind of like David Price in that sense. You then, then the Dodgers would then face the Cardinals in that round. And then the Cubs Pirates would face each other in, in a best of five as well. That's better for the sport. That's how you want it. And that's how it should be that way in, in all sports. Because the Blackhawks really shouldn't have faced such a tough opponent in the Blues that early. But as much as I hate the Blues, I got to give them credit. Credit where credit's due. And the NBA could jump on this too. How about this shit in the NBA? So Steph Curry is going to miss a couple weeks. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, well, that's going to really put their perfect season even though it's not a perfect season but you got the record of 73 and 9 and then then becoming NBA champions that puts that whole scenario in jeopardy right there because he's gonna miss two weeks so I was looking ahead thinking oh the Clippers that that's gonna be a tough matchup for them soon as I talk about this with my cousins because we got this email thread because we're all crazy sports nerds like this right away Chris Paul gets injured and then um Blake Griffin's now out so their two best players are now done. Portland's most likely going to win. I don't like Portland's matchup. Again, even without Steph Curry, I think Golden State could be Portland in five or six. Most likely six. But, I mean, what a cakewalk. It's like, it's like they have the easiest. They're going to have a bye. I mean, it's not really a bye, but you know what I'm saying. Shut up. <laughs> now, on the other side of that, you're going to have OKC versus San Antonio, and they're going to be beating the shit out of each other. That's going to be the series. And then they're going to be they're going to be tired and worn out. At which point, Curry will probably be back from his two week vacation, and he's going to be ready to go. And then they're going to sweep or win in five against whatever those two teams. Because I really think those two teams are going to beat the crap out of each other to the point where it's going to be tough for them to beat Golden State. On the other side of it, I think Cleveland's just going to roll right through it. Although it'd be interesting, it'd really be fun to see if uh, I don't know what that series. Is. I think it's still a two two between Miami and Charlotte. But that would be fun if it was Miami versus Cleveland and Miami just figured out a way to play Cleveland. Because I think that matchup almost favors them, even though Wade's like 100 years old now and they're kind of beat out. But I, I, really, I really think that'd be kind of fun to see that. That'd be, wouldn't that be awesome if the Miami Heat, this current Miami Heat, would knock out LeBron and the Cavs? Ooh, ooh, tasty. I like it. So that's what's going on in the NBA right now. Um, I want to get to this documentary. I want to keep the podcast tight for you, especially when I'm talking by myself. Not that I can't do it. You're hearing me right now. I don't need friends. No, I do. Again, and thanks for uh, thanks for spending a little time with uh, Joseph Kilgallen over here. This is the Comedians Talking Sports podcast. I'm going to pause 10 seconds for station identification. I'm not doing that. The uh, documentary I chose to review is called Trophy Kids. You can catch it on Netflix. I don't know who produced it. Actually, I do. I think Peter Berg. He's been in a bunch of things. He was a... Uh, executive producer on the HBO show Ballers. I believe I saw his name in the credits. So Trophy Kids is basically what you'd think. Well, actually not what you'd think, because when I first saw Trophy Kids, I thought, oh, maybe that's a documentary about how all these kids get participation trophies now, and and there are dudes in their 40s who are very upset about that because when their dad was beating them with their third-place trophy, they were thought, oh, at least I earned that third-place trophy. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe that's what it is. Don't get me wrong. I think there was, there was a lot of kids out there who probably get coddled way more than they should but I don't think a participation trophy is hurting competition I got a participation trophy when I was like seven years old in t-ball 
playing in the city of Chicago, a tough town. And it didn't make me go, oh, that's okay. I'll settle for that. I just thought, oh, yeah, we got a trophy. Everyone gets a trophy. We're seven. That's all I thought. And then as I got older, they were like, maybe we still we may still have all got trophies or a medal. But then they gave first place the bigger trophies. I'm like, no, I want the bigger thing. And even if what, like you still, you know, kids know. You either have that fire in you or you don't. That's that's the thing. That's why Michael Jordan will always be the greatest basketball player of all time. And LeBron, LeBron might have had better talent overall. Not talent, but athleticism for sure. 6'8", 250, runs like a gazelle, absolutely. Jordan's just a more skilled player. He's got better stats overall. And he was that psychopath that just you had to cut his heart out to beat him. Remember LeBron's first NBA, not first, but his second NBA Finals, first with the Miami Heat, that super team, which, by the way, Facebook memories showed me, I said this, uh, like back when, I don't know when, right after the decision, I guess, I said on Facebook, because Facebook memories will show you, you know, what you said four or five years ago. Some of it's depressing, some of it's fun. And it's, I said that um, Michael Jordan had to climb to the top of the mountain. LeBron James has taken a helicopter. That's what I felt like when he when he took off from Cleveland and went to Miami to form that super team. Remember that series though, that first series against Dallas when they lost in six games, and LeBron had like scored like 17 points a game. Sean Marion beat him up and destroyed him that whole series, owned him pretty much. The same Sean Marion who had a 40 year old Michael Jordan was hitting game winners over. LeBron James in that series had two games, back to back games, where in the fourth quarter he had zero points and only took a handful of shots. Could you imagine any scenario in which Michael Jordan wasn't going to shoot the ball? That's why I think sometimes it's in you or it's not in you. Anyway, the Trophy Kids, the documentary, is not about participation, trophies, and all that like I thought it would be. So definitely go into this with an open mind when you watch the documentary. But here's how it opens up. It opens up this coach. He's just he's quizzing his kid. It's football, you know. And the kid's like, you know, he's like, what are you doing this? Uh, you know, what's your route in this formation? Who do you, you know, just he's quizzing him on all sorts of stuff, like where he's supposed to be on this, like what's your assignment there, and all that kind of nonsense. It's not nonsense, it's important if you're a football player, but he was doing it in a real crappy way, like really ridiculing his kid. And the kid has this look on his face. It was a cross between, I don't give a fuck, and this isn't fun. Why are you making me do this? Or you're taking the fun away. He just looked like very blah. And then I thought to myself, I'm like, maybe. He doesn't give a fuck because his dad's a dick. And, you know, the kid's 15. And I really do think you can hurt someone's love of something or you could discourage them, hurt their growth as an athlete. And this is what this documentary really talks about. It's got these two twins who were going for tennis. They didn't really dig into them too much because the mom wasn't abusive, so her story wasn't as good. She was just kind of nutty in a way. Um, cause she was really religious, not that I'm not knocking religious people, but I'm saying she was just very much like God has a plan for them. And that plan is to be the number one ranked doubles tennis in the world. I remember just being like, that is very specific of a plan that God has for like, they, like, where do you get that is, that is really, how do you know God didn't have a plan for them to be garbage men? Maybe he thought, Hey, these guys would be great sanitation workers and there's nothing wrong with that. That sanitation workers, garbage men are probably the most important of all city jobs. Yes, more important than firemen and cops. There are never fires anymore, very rarely. And I'm not saying they're not brave, but very rarely because just technology's better. It's not like back 60 years ago when you'd plug something in and leave it on for 20 minutes. And all of a sudden, oh, shit, sparks. Let's get the hell out of here. It's going to go down. 
And cops, cops are, you know, look, there are a lot of great cops out there. I'm not knocking cops. Most of them are awesome. But cops typically, even the great ones, they typically show up after a crime had already happened and just go, hey, tell me about this horrible shit that just happened. I got to write it down for my file. Garbage men, though, take that garbage out. Keep things clean. That's like the number one thing that helps fight the plague. Not the plague, but, you know, it's a health issue. You can't have garbage stacked up everywhere. Anyhow, though, so it's real weird. God's going to make my kids number one tennis player. So you had that storyline. Then I already mentioned the the psycho dad with his football kid. Then you have uh, this meathead. This guy was like, I don't know how old he was, but just real meathead, lunk-looking dude. He had blonde tips, real tan. This is the dad I'm talking about. Frosted blonde tips. And I think this has to be Florida. It wasn't. It's California. This is all along the Los Angeles area, every family they talk to. But the kid actually, his number one dream was to get a scholarship to Florida. He's talking about his kid in the training regimen he has his kid on. And he's, he's telling us that this kid started taking 20 pills a day. I think he's like, he was like 16 or 17 at the time of the documentary. 20 pills a day starting when he was 11 years old. He had him on Creed. He had all this stuff. And he's saying that, well, right now, the kid, you know, right now my kid's like 6'1", you know, 175. And that's not going to give him a D1 scholarship. So, you know, I'm trying to do everything we can. We need to get him about, about three more inches, you know, 6'4", and get him around 200 pounds. That'll, that'll get him where he needs to go. Look, there's something called genetics, everybody. And as much as we're all brainwashed and we're all believe, yes, there's stories in which some kid just worked his ass off and became a great athlete. And yes, you do have to work your ass off to be a great athlete, but you also have to have some natural ability. You have to have, you can't like, you guys ever been to a little league game or any sporting event where it's like kids playing grade school or even, you know, freshmen, sophomores in high school, and you'll see those psycho parents and you look and it's like, dude, you're 5'2 and your wife's 5'1. Your son's not going to the NBA. What do you think is going to happen? You think you're going to wish his way into becoming six foot seven? It doesn't work that way. And yeah, I know someone's going to tell me, oh, my dad's, you know, five, six, but I'm six, two. Yeah, of course, there's some cases like that. But overall, you got to read the writing on the wall. And each one of these parents, they're all so full of shit. You want to watch how not to be a parent? Watch the documentary Trophy Kids on Netflix. Each one of these jerks kept saying the same thing over and over again where they're like, this is not about me. My kid's going to thank me for this one day. This is, a, it hurts, you know, and then one guy even quoted where it's like, you know, parents would always say when back in, when we were kids when they were whipping us, this hurts me more than it hurts you. <laughs> okay, sure. I mean, this, and here's another one. The, the war, I think the worst of it was to me though, the golf dad. The daughter was seven years old and I like golf. I went golfing twice this week. Not very good. Although I had a birdie on this one hole, which is pretty great. A birdie on a par four is real nice. I, 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 I have my moments on the golf course where I'm like, oh, maybe I could get really good at this if I actually put some effort into it. Either way, it's supposed to be fun. So she's seven. She has a better swing than pretty much every adult I've ever played with in my life. And I've played with a few really good golfers. I played with a golf pro a friend of mine from high school. Nick Farr, if you're listening, what's up, my man? This, her swing was amazing. Seven years old. And the dad was the biggest dick piece of shit. You wouldn't, you wouldn't believe, like, every, she, he's commenting on everything. Every swing he has a comment for. And can you imagine playing golf like that? That's already, the, and he kept going, golf is a mental sport. Yeah, no shit, idiot. It is a mental sport. You're getting in my fucking head. Go away. And she had a few moments like that for a seven-year-old. She's going to be badass. I think she will go in, in, in spite of him. I think she's going to make it. 
at the end of it, they actually tell you what happened with each kid and where they are and everything like that. I'll just give you a snippet with her. So she'd won one tournament. Now, we don't see that. We, we hear her talk about, he was talking about like, oh, she won this tournament when she was like five. And then when she, last year, she took seventh place. And now she's like seven. Or maybe she would won when she was six. Maybe she was eight in it now. But she had taken six when she was seven. Anyway, it's all like real. I think the next year, she wins it. They tell us next year she had won this big, huge world juniors tournament or something. It was a really big deal. Parents weren't allowed to be there. So her dad didn't see it. Because whoever ran the tournament must have had, there must have been enough going on where they're like, "Look, these parents are nutbags. This is they're ruining the game for their kids, and we we don't want this. It looks bad. We don't want a kid missing. A, she missed like a twenty foot putt. Longer, she'd miss she'd miss a thirty foot putt by like two feet, and he would be like, "I told you to concentrate. What are you doing? Like just freaking out. And you know this fat guy couldn't swing a club to save his life anyway. Little round boy yelling at his daughter, who's awesome. I felt really bad for her." Because then they would show times where she's like, can I go on the swings now? I'm eight and my friends are over there. And he's like, losers go on the swings. You know? And he's sitting in the golf cart, like, you know, like when they had a break, probably like the ninth hole or something, saying, because there was uh, Japanese kids were like leading the one tournament. And he's like, we well, you know why the Japanese kids? You know, he's doing that whisper that every racist likes to do. And he's like, because uh, they're allowed to beat their kids over there. You know, we beat our kids over here, we get arrested. That's why we hit a good back in our day in the 70s, you could beat your kid. My kid would turn out way better if I get bit. Like, I don't understand how people do. Like, I, I'm very much against beating your children. I am. I have no problem saying that. Mainly because I have a dog. She's two, and I never, grew, I never had a dog before. I didn't grow up with a dog, so I wanted to know how to train her. There's not one dog trainer. They'll say, "Oh, if your dog doesn't listen, you beat the shit out of it." That's a dog. So if I'm not supposed to hit a dog, why would I hate a human being? These are just lazy, dumb parents. Do that. They can't figure out why their kid's acting up. Maybe their kid's acting up because you just fed it fuckloads of sugar. I don't understand. I gave you a 24-ounce soda, McDonald's food, and fries, and you're acting like a wild person. Why won't you behave? I'm going to have to beat the shit out of you so you relax and then do it all over again the next day when I feed you more shit food. I just, you should have a license to procreate. Anyhow, so he's saying all this horrible stuff. Uh, the, the one coach he has was a good coach, like teaching all these things and stuff like that. He seemed like he was encouraging. He's like, no, the coach could do that. But I got I to set her straight. And I'm like, dude, she's your daughter, not a lottery ticket. That's how, he view, that's how they view their kids. They want to live vicariously through their kids. They never made in whatever sport. And now they're thinking, this will be my ticket out of this. But all the families look like they're pretty well off. They interviewed them in their homes. And I'm like, these are all pretty decent looking houses in California, mind you. If you're listening anywhere else in the country, you have to understand like my dad was visiting, he said to me, like, all right, like that little house right there. And he pointed to like a little ranch house that was probably two bedrooms, two bathrooms. It's like, what does that cost? I go, 600000 seven, And that was probably a conservative estimate, probably more than that. It's like that little tiny, I know. I told my dad, I go, your northwest side of Chicago bungalow, which is a classic house you see on the northwest side and southwest side of Chicago. They're great homes. That would be a million-dollar house in Los Angeles. That California property is really expensive. So these families seem pretty well off. Although the one dad, I think I got the sense that he had quit his job to really focus on the daughter with the golf. So she wins the tournament where he's not allowed there, which I think is just amazing. But do you think, and the thing about it is I really wish they would have showed like footage of him being like, well, yeah, maybe I should just not show up more and just trust that she's going to you know, play her game and do well and, and, and do me proud and all that. 
But no. He said, oh, I'm still working hard on trying to get her out of public school. I want to homeschool her so she could focus even more on golf. And we're really looking for a sponsor. And it's like, dude, she's your daughter. You're going to regret this one day. Or maybe you won't because you're dumb. But one day she's going she's gonna to tell you, I don't want you walking me down the aisle. You know, I don't want you there. You made my childhood miserable. You taught me game, the game of golf. You brought me out there, and I really enjoyed it. I go, oh, this is a fun thing I could do for my dad. And you made it so that I dreaded every day of my childhood. Fuck you. That's what's going to happen, and I would respect the hell out of her. This, this girl's a badass. She, she was a great golfer, but I couldn't believe when she, she missed. A, I mean, and I remember they're talking to the mom early in the documentary. She kind of disappeared later, but early in the documentary, she was talking about, like, well, you know, there's days where if she misses a two-foot putt, that dinner could be real stressful early at the dinner table. And I thought like she was going to say something like, but then I have to tell my husband she's just a kid. No, and then she was like, well, she needs, she needs to work harder. I'm like, she's fucking seven. God. And the basketball dad, they finally wouldn't let him show up anymore to the games because they were talking to like an older son or a friend. He's like, I don't like sitting by him. It's too negative. He's yelling out. He'll yell out players on my, and the, my brother's own team suck. Like, dude, their parents around. You're talking shit about someone else's kid. And there was another dad too who's just a bigger piece of shit. And they end up getting this one coach fired. This guy had coached at this school for a long time, had 30 years of coaching experience, and he even said, he goes, no, it's the parents. I feel bad for that kid. And the kid was even saying, oh, I want to go to Burbank High School, which is actually where I live now. I actually drove by Burbank High School the other day. I think it would be a better fit for me. And then the, his dad was, no, this is the better school. We'll just get him fired. And they got the, kid, the, the coach fired, and then the kid was like, well, yeah, I am happy. But you could tell there was something with the kid. Both the kids were just at the point where they wanted to tell their dads, just back off. I don't get those parents to me. I always could tell whenever I've been at any, you know, youth sporting event, the parents who were good athletes growing up are the ones who are usually pretty quiet. I mean, they know when to cheer and they want to be like, hey, there you go there, Bobby. Nice job. Good eye or great throw or, you know, and they'll know when they have to give the kid a little bit like, you know, you got to concentrate, you know, they know. But they're not commentating on every play. You can't do that. Like, do they not watch pros? Do they, do they not see like how the NBA works? Is Steve Kerr yelling at the goal? Well, they're a great team, but is any coach yelling after every play? I mean, they might be yelling plays out, but they're not going to do that. I always saw that in Little League, too. A batter would stand up there and take strike one. Maybe it was a little inside, a little outside. But either way, he took strike one, which sometimes is a good strategy. Take a pitch, get comfortable up there. They'll take a pitch, it'll be strike one, and you'll see people like, all right, you see it now. Come on there, Tommy. Oh, I was right there. That's your pitch. Just going nuts. It's crazy. I, I just, it's just not how to play a sport. It's not how to teach anybody how to play a sport. Good coaches, good parents know when to give their kid a kick in the ass. Not literally, but like, you know, know when to tell them, hey, let's go. You're better than this. They know that. And they also know when to ease up and, let, and remind them that it's just a game. Now, it reminded me of the movie Whiplash a little bit in the sense that the movie Whiplash, which you should definitely see, it should have won the best picture two years ago. That movie Birdman won instead. Whiplash is about this kid who's a jazz drummer. Jazz drumming, he's drumming his whole life. His mom took off when he was young. His dad's a teacher. And drumming's just this thing he's great at. This is what he wants to be great. And the teacher, played by J.K. Uh, Simmons, he is an asshole. He pushes kids, and he doesn't believe greatness can be discouraged. He believes if, if, you are, if you do get discouraged, you weren't meant to be great. And he uses an example, which I didn't agree with. The, movie, the whole question of the movie is, is it 
can you discourage greatness? Is it okay to be this guy? Is it okay to be that guy? And I disagreed. I don't think you should be like JK's character. The act, I mean, the acting's great and all that, but the character I didn't like. And I'm not saying because I couldn't handle that shit. I had some coaches who did it really well, you know? Some coaches who nailed it. But, uh, yeah, some, some kids, you, you have to just take them differently. Each kid's differently. So in the movie Whiplash, you use an example of, I don't know if it was Buddy Rich or some famous drummer. He was in class, and his teacher threw a cymbal at him. He goes, you almost decapitated him. You know, he ducks the symbols, you know. And then just think, just think if that teacher would have just said to him, hey, good job. You know, that was okay. Even if it was, even, if, you know, even if it could have been better, if he just said, that's fine. He said the two worst words in the English language are good job. Like that's not motivating enough. You know, you got to, even if it's really good, you, you tell that guy it sucked. Even if he does great, even if you, even if he's an A minus, you tell him he's a piece of shit. That way he works hard and he becomes an A plus. I, I disagree with that. And plus, what he doesn't realize, if the drummer didn't fucking duck, he's dead. So was throwing the symbol at him the great move? Was that great teaching? I believe you could push people to greatness without pushing them over the edge, too. It's a fine line. You could do both. But you don't have to suck the fun out of it. You don't have to take someone's passion away from it. I do believe you can discourage greatness. I've seen it. I had a really good friend of mine in high school, a guy I kind of lost touch with, but he's a good dude. Uh, he was an amazing wrestler, and I was on the wrestling team freshman year, and just because I needed something to do in between baseball and football, and I got cut from basketball, I'll be honest. That's really why I joined the wrestling team. I was like, I got cut from basketball. I got to do something. And uh, he was ranked. He, ran, he, he finished second in the state as an eighth grader, and he was 16th in the nation. And when I met him, he was, everyone was tightly, everyone talking about him. He's going, oh, dude, he's going to wrestle most of his matches on varsity this year. He's barely going to be on the freshman team because we weighed the same. So he's like, so you'll probably take that. And I'm like, I got to work out with him. He's going to kill me. He didn't kill me because he didn't care. He hated the sport. He's 14 going on 15 and already hated the sport because he'd been playing it since he was three. Or I don't know if he played wrestling, but he'd been doing it since he was three. And he was over it. They had ruined it from him. And this kid could have been great. He could have gotten a scholarship. Everyone was looking. He was highly touted. So, yes, you can discourage greatness. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. The people who tell you otherwise are people who aren't fucking great. It's amazing watching the basketball dads freaking out too. Because they're facing some guys where it's like, dude, like that's the thing about basketball. It's like you can't control height. You know, you can work as hard as you can, but if you're facing, like, they were facing a guy who was seven feet tall and he was dominating. But one play, though, the seven footer went for a dunk and missed it. And the dad, this was a grown man who had a son in high school. He was probably a young dad, though. Even though his son was in high school, he might have maybe he was 41. You know, so he probably had his kid when he was like 21, 22. He, uh, so maybe he's in his late 30s even. Who knows, though? So he, the kid, the seven-footer misses the dunk, and he goes, oh, yeah, seven feet tall, can't dunk. You're good. He's heckling the other team. I was like, like I, I'm all for schools when they hear that. As soon as they hear that, be like, hey, guess what? Guess what? You're watching this game from the parking lot now. Get out. Go. Go. You're embarrassed. And then the golf dad kept, every now and then the daughter would want to pout because she's seven. That's what they do when people are being assholes to them. Kept going, if you pout one more time. And meanwhile, it's like, he's like, don't you embarrass me on this golf course. You're embarrassing her. You're embarrassing everybody. You're a jerk. He starts talking to other parents about beating his kids and how it wasn't better when he's doing that. And they're just like, yeah, they're just trying to move away. He was that guy at a bar who starts going off on conspiracy theories. And you're like, all right, cool. I'm going to be over here now. <sighs> Dude, I coached kids. I did. I coached my little brother's team when they were like in fifth grade, fourth, fifth grade. It was part district basketball. But I knew. I'm not trying to say I'm amazing. 
but you know it is. You know I am. You know you know it to be true. I told I knew which kids needed to be pumped up and which didn't. And yeah, there were some kids where I the, the two best players I rarely pumped up because I knew everyone was going to be kissing their ass their whole lives anyway. These two kids were great, but I, I knew I, I'd, I'd you know I'd still give them encouragement. It's not like I ignored them, but I knew how to. And I knew when there was, you know, there's one guy who's really trying hard. And by the end of the year, he was a good basketball player. He got good. He, you know, he just needed a little guidance. Tom, how to be a post player. Because I looked at him, I'm like, you're going to be a post player. I'm like, you're not going to be fat. I don't see you as a guard. I don't. And he was kind of tall for his age. So I'm like, we're going to try to make you like a forward. You know, he was a little pudgy, but he was like in fifth grade. So if he kept working at it, if he got a little leaner, maybe in high school, it would have been a nice small forward, a good wing player. He was tall, and he got good inside, and I taught him a couple post moves, and he started to have fun. That was a kid. I remember pulling a sidey this one big game. I was like, that's what I'm fucking talking about. Yeah, I swore in front of a 10-year-old, but he needed that. The kid was pumped. He high-fived me back harder than anyone's ever high-fived me. The kid loved it. It was great. His parents loved me because he said all the kid talks about his basketball and Coach Joe this, Coach Joe that. That's what you want to do. Yeah, there need to be mental checks for a lot of things in this world, and coaches are one of them. It's one of those things that really, really blows. Um, all right, well, that's been the podcast. Uh, definitely check out the movie Trophy Kids. Be better to children out there in general. Uh, be, be a good sports fan, all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, It is just a game. I'm not saying that you can't work hard and you can't treat it you know, with respect and everything like that. I know I do. Uh, but again, thank you for listening to Comedians Talking Sports. I'm Joe Kilgallen. Write us a review on iTunes. It goes a long way. Uh, we'll be back at it this Sunday with Comedians Talking Baseball. We'll recap the week in baseball. Maybe we'll have more on this Arietta story for you. In the meantime, have yourselves a great week. Thanks for listening.